0: Welcome to Tampa Tantrum, The Lost Files. Back in the summer of 2012, myself, Stephen Layton, and Colin Harmon hosted a group of 12 coffee luminaries to come present on a coffee topic of their choice at the SAE World of Coffee event in Vienna. This was not the first time we'd put on such an event, but it was the first time we didn't have control of the AV crew for the production. For the previous two events, we'd collated a set of videos, which can all be viewed at tampertantrum.com. But in Vienna, something went horribly wrong. The quality of the video just wasn't good enough. Although something gets lost without the visuals, I've decided instead of them being lost forever, that I'll make them available in an audio format. This is the first in the series, so please give it up for Mr. Tim Wendelbo.
1: That, uh, what's the name of that band again? Arrested Development. Yes, I used to like that. All right. Um, I'm actually glad to be here talking. Uh, I've been traveling f- for a month, so I didn't have a lot of time to prepare it, but um, I was going to talk about retail. I thought uh, like you did last week. Uh, I'm not going to talk about retail. I think uh, retail is uh, something we talk about all the time. Uh, and it's not very interesting. Um, so I'm going to talk about, uh, overall, how you can improve uh, not only the quality in your shop, but also the quality as of your coffee and as a barista and everything. That's uh, sort of what I'm uh, burning for right today. Let's dive into it. Um, how many of you consider yourself a specialty coffee person? Can you raise your hands? Yeah? Exactly. What does specialty coffee mean? I have no idea. I mean, if you walk this trade show, um, you can find companies like Lavazza, Sega Fredo, companies that we want to differentiate ourselves from, but they're still also calling themselves specialty coffee roasters. Uh, Still, we use these labels to sort of uh, identify ourselves. Uh, So if you go to visit some other shops, uh, like let's say in Paris, and you say you work in coffee, you say you work in specialty coffee. If you're a chef, and you visit another restaurant, you say, I work in a restaurant. You don't say I work in a specialty restaurant. Um, other labels we kind of tend to use is words like microlots. Well, for a big roaster, a container is a microlot. For me, uh, a kilo of coffee is a microlot. It doesn't mean anything, and it doesn't really help Uh, help uh, improve our quality, doesn't help um, communicating our quality to the end consumers. Direct trade is a bogus word that a lot of people use. Um, It means one thing for one company, another thing for another company, and we use it to differentiate differentiate ourselves from a word called fair trade. Well, for an end consumer, they sound exactly the same. Whether it's direct, fair, share trades, you know, I really don't care. Um, Direct trade is the buzzword today. And uh, if you really sort of dig down in the word, it means you have to go down to the farmer, hand him a a pile of cash, and get the coffee straight out of his hands, like... (laughs) It doesn't really work that way. There's very few farmers that are able to export their own coffee. Maybe they don't have an export license uh, and so on. So there's always people in between that you need to pay in order to get the coffee from the farmer to your, to your um, roastery or to your shop. All of these words have one thing in common. They don't really sell coffee that well. If you, if you go into a coffee shop as a customer, You're not interested in buying a product because it's specialty, or because it's direct or whatever. You're interested in in taste. That's what you want to buy. You go to a coffee shop to get a better tasting coffee. None of this describe anything about taste. Like if you went to a restaurant, sat down, and like, yeah, this, this food is all direct trade. And if it tastes like shit, it doesn't really matter. I hate using these words. I try not to do it, although I just did a hundred times during three minutes, um, because it does not describe what we're doing, and it doesn't communicate anything. Third wave, great word. For me, it sounds like a surfer uh, technique or something, I don't know. Um, I don't even know what third wave is. but it sort of describes the new sort of movement in coffee, which is good in a way. But I have some issues with the third wave baristas or third wave coffee people. And uh, the thing is, most of the focus in this sort of movement is what you can see on this trade show as well. It's machines, it's uh, stable temperature, it's pressure profiling, it's, uh, you know, uh, in Norway, we call it Dippe It's stuff that really doesn't make a difference, but it's nice to have. So let's talk about brewing. How many of you had had an experience during the last year uh, where the uh, instrument or the equipment or the technique used during brewing revolutionized your coffee experience? Just one, two, three? To be honest, since I started with coffee, I haven't seen any device that revolutionized my coffee experience. Good filter coffee today tastes exactly the same as really good filter coffee 13 years ago. Nothing's changed. We brew with the same ratios. We use the same grinders. We use a machine that has 92.3 degree accuracy instead of 92 degree accuracy, or whatever it is. If you really think about the potential in brewing, I think we're pretty close to nailing down what we can do with a brewed coffee today. Whether you do it by hand or by an automatic filter machine, I don't care. One of the stupidest things I've ever seen online these days is a machine that pours water automatically over a manual brewing device. Isn't that just a batch brewer? I mean, it's the same. It's a coffee brewer. We're just making something really simple, simplifying it by making it manual, and then complicating it by making it automatic again. It's idiotic. And it doesn't really change the brew. It makes it, at best, taste as good as you can if you're really doing a good job by manual brewing. Concepts. Third waivers are all about concepts. See the barista competitions. It's all about creating a concept that the judges are supposed to understand in 15 minutes. And in most cases, it doesn't really work. It works for one person a year. And for all the rest, (laughs) it doesn't work at all. We're also very focused on concepts in our stores. But if you look from a consumer point of view, walking into a coffee shop feels exactly the same, whether it's in LA or in Norway or in France. There's a counter, there's an espresso machine, And there's some obnoxious people with a lot of tattoos serving coffee with a grumpy attitude. Sorry, Melissa. (laughs) For a a consumer, I don't think understanding what we do um, is done well just by changing the concepts a little bit. Like, you have independent stores that look different from Starbucks. But now Starbucks are also opening stores that look different from Starbucks. And they have different names. And they feel independent when you walk in. They actually feel great. Um, I don't think this will um, will uh, really evolve our industry as a whole if we only focus on these things. Is this working? Or? Yeah. So in my opinion, uh, we need to shift focus. Um, and not just roasters, and not just equipment manufacturers, but also uh, customers, of course. And the shift where I think is the biggest potential is, of course, uh, the green coffee or the coffee quality. If you talk with any chef or any winemaker around the world, what's the most important thing to improve the quality? Well, it's to improve the produce. Working closer with producers, We have a restaurant in Norway that went from zero Michelin stars to two stars. The first restaurant to ever do that in the Nordic countries. And how they did it, I think a big part of it is that they work closely with all their uh, suppliers. All the farms that they buy produce from, they don't buy food from like a big uh, supermarket supplier. They go to the farm and buy the actual produce and tell them like look, we're not so happy with the last uh, thing you sent us. Can you maybe change or improve? That's how you do it. Roasting, I would say, just to take a figure, 90% of all the roasts I've ever tasted, I really don't understand what the roaster meant about that uh, product. Like One thing is the green coffee. You can see the potential. but. I don't understand why people roast the way they do. And if you ask roasters why they roast the way they do, normally you can't get an answer. It's because we felt it tasted good that way. Well, you don't really know if you don't cup references. Like we had a visitor from Canada who were really proud of their roasting uh, last week. They say they roast really light and so on. Put it on the table with Scandinavian coffee. It tastes really dark. It's because you're not cupping references. We visited a big roaster in uh, Chicago, which is quite uh, well-known. We asked, look, uh, how is your roasting? And the roaster said, well, we are five guys roasting here, and we all have individual recipes, and we don't really log anything. They cup it, but they don't write down anything. What happens if those five guys are sick at the same day? I mean, how can you reproduce the quality? Getting a little bit better on roasting, I think, uh, is one of the most important things where we can improve and one of the places where we have the biggest potential in improving quality. Um, and one of the things we really need to improve is the equipment that we roast on. I mean most of these roasters, they're a drum roaster with some flame underneath and there's some air going through and that technology is like hundred years old. Nothing's changed and we put, keep putting probes all over the roaster And it doesn't really help. It's impossible to reproduce one roast from one day to another. Listening to critique, I'm not ashamed of, if you want my opinion, I tell you my opinion. If you can't handle my opinion, why the hell do you ask for it? I had a guy yesterday who gave me a coffee a couple of weeks ago and he asked me, what do you think of it? And I said like, I didn't like it. The coffee wasn't good, the roast was terrible. What more do you need? Um, I almost said it in that way. Um, I have another story. I went to uh, the US. I visited uh, two roasters in one city. One roaster had just started. Uh, wasn't doing a good job. Didn't have a good green coffee. Uh, the roast was all over the place. I visited another roastery who's been roasting for many years. Uh, buy beautiful green coffee, but roast extremely dark. You can not really taste the quality of the green beans. Um, I told them my opinion. I came back uh, now, um, I think three years later. The roaster who had newly started uh, had really good green coffee and doing a great job roasting. The other roaster who was previously buying very good green coffee was still doing the same, but had changed nothing. And they were all complaining about how this asshole from Norway came and talked talk shit about their coffee. I mean, two different point of views. One. Interested in learning really humble take your opinion to account. Maybe there's something in it Maybe I should work on it. The other ones are just fuck you asshole. I'm not gonna listen to you That's not a good way to improve Buying quality coffee. How many of you buy quality coffee? How do you know that you buy quality coffee? Just because the importer says it's quality doesn't mean it's quality. Just because the farmer is a famous farmer, doesn't mean that it's a quality coffee. You can go to Brazil to one of these big farms, they win the Cup of Excellence every year, and that's 20 bags of coffee. The rest of their production is shit. I have pictures to prove it. But since you buy from the same farm and they won the Cup of Excellence, oh, it's so good. How do you know that? You need to get references. A very good way of getting references that is quite affordable. If you can't afford to travel, you can't afford to cup coffees uh, all over the world, uh, join the Cup of Excellence and buy all the samples from all the countries. Then you get like 30 to 40 samples from each country. And those are supposed to be one of the best coffees in that country that given year. It's a great way of getting reference. So when the importer sends you coffee, you will be able to um, to um, cup it next to a couple of excellent samples, and compare. Is this really good quality or not? Of course, you can become an educated cupper over time, but it takes a lot of years, and you need a lot of reference. I'm not saying I'm a great cupper, but I'm starting to build a reference point where I can say, "Okay, this coffee is good because the body is like this. It feels clean. It feels ripe, and so on. But it took me years to learn that, and this year is probably the year that I've started to sort of I can relax when I'm copying and confidently say like, this is better because of that. It's all about references. A good example is, uh, I now work as an importer. If I have some shitty coffee to sell, I will send that sample and I will send a lot of samples that are slightly worse, you know? Because on a given table that you cup, you will always find the best coffee. It's like walking into a nightclub There's no pretty girls, but after a while, you find the prettiest one. (laughs) We call ourselves specialty coffee industry, but to be honest, a lot of the coffees sold as specialty is just good commercial coffee. Coffees that frankly Frile and uh, Jo Johansson in Norway, the biggest roasters in Norway, they're buying the same stuff. It's just not tasting as good. Because they grind the coffee and they pack the coffee, and it takes three, four months before it ends up to the consumer. Transparency. We think we're so transparent. We think our coffees are so great because we know where it's from. It's not a Colombia Excelso. it's a Colombia Finca Ladida, Finca Lasagna. <laughs> Just because the coffee has an address doesn't mean it's high quality. Because, again, one farm can sell crappy coffee, and they can sell good coffee. All farms over the world produce all qualities. Let's see if this works again. We talk about traceability. Uh, There's a lot of roasters who, who defend themselves like, we're not interested in fair trade at all because we're having traceable coffees.
2: Is it really traceable?
1: Do you really know what the farmer got? Do you really know how much you paid the exporter? Do you really know that? Just because you know how much you paid for the coffee to the importer or whatever, doesn't mean you know how much money ends up to the farmer. And that's why a lot of people buy commercial coffees that are not exceptionally good uh, for a good price, because the importer makes a lot of money. And it's traceable, because it has the name of the farm where the coffee comes from. Do you know what lot number it is? Do you know what varietal it is? Do you know all this stuff? I'm not sure. I started thinking about this when I opened the rosary because I was uh, marketing that we were very transparent and we don't do fair trade and stuff and then I started asking myself what happens if if a journalist digs into this and finds out that I don't have a clue what I'm actually paying the farmers. We changed our uh, buying uh, practices in Kenya because I couldn't find out how much the farmer got. Actually, the farmer didn't get money at all. But it was sold as traceable, you know, uh, fair trade or direct trade or whatever you call it. I don't care. So we end up buying commercial coffee, and the only thing uh, that differentiates ourselves from the commercial coffee is it's fresher. We sell it as beans, we roasted it last week instead of in a vacuum pack, roasted a month ago. Just because it's fresher doesn't mean the coffee is actually better. Uh, in Norway, the commercial coffee is pretty good. So that means we really need to be a lot better. That's probably a good advantage for us. But for a consumer, it's really hard to differentiate a commercial coffee that is fresh and a commercial coffee that is not so fresh. There's not a huge difference in taste. It's not like night and day. Of course, if you cup Robusta and uh, you know, really bad coffee, Against some average Arabica, it will taste better. But you know. So, again, get references. Uh, make sure you cup all the coffees you can come across. And if you can't come across enough coffees, make sure you get more coffees to come across. How many of you have a sample roaster, for instance? Just one, two. And you all work in coffee? You don't even have a popcorn popper to uh, roast coffee? I mean, it's a really, you have some home roasters that are really uh, affordable, uh, you can get, and roast small samples, so you can start cupping, you know. It doesn't have to cost $50,000 for a sample roaster. And uh, one of the things that is important is that we have to realize that quality costs money. I was just in Colombia for a week to work with a farmer, and just by simple steps like improving the picking, he had to pay the pickers 50% more per uh, bucket of cherries. 50% more per bucket. And a picker would pick maybe 12, 13 buckets a day. Also, they would pick slower. So by the end of the year, he would have paid maybe 60 70% more just for the picking. And then the process that we Im- implemented took uh, one day extra. It takes a lot more work to dry the coffee because you've got to move it all the time. The qualities, uh, the difference in quality is huge, and the cost is almost double. And yet, we walk around thinking we can uh, get a really good coffee for you know, $2 a pound, $3 a pound. It's not going to happen. It, it doesn't make sense. I mean, the farmer needs to make money as well. Otherwise, they're not able to reproduce. Well, they reproduce, but uh, not coffee. So if you really want to start somewhere, if you, if you run a store or you run a roastery, ask yourself, is your coffee really that different? I mean, if you compare it to commercial coffees, to your competitors' coffees, and your own coffees to, it, to each other, are the differences really that different? I know a lot of roasters who have maybe 40, 50 different coffees, and they all more or less taste the same. They have one Ethiopia maybe and one Kenya that's really different, but all the other ones taste more or less the same. How do you think if a coffee professional are not able to taste the big difference, how do you think a consumer is able to taste a big difference? How are you going to sell your coffee for twice the price if the consumer, they don't think it's worth it? Well, you can call it specialty, you can call it direct, I don't care. If it tastes bad, I don't want to buy the product. I don't want to come back and buy the product. Is your coffee really worth two, three times the price of a commercial coffee? Do you think it's that much better than, uh, if you you think about wine and you pay two, three times more for a bottle of wine, are you able to differentiate those qualities? Some people are, some people aren't. So in my opinion, and this is uh, sort of one of my Points When I always talk about fair trade and stuff, yes, we do actually have fair trade coffee. I don't pay for certificates or anything, so I don't sell it as fair trade coffee because it doesn't interest me. We pay much more anyway. We do have organic coffee. I do have the certificates because some clients require it, but I don't put it on the back. I do buy directs, but I mean That's just common sense. You should make sure the money goes to the farmer. You should make the farmer make money. That's just common sense. Don't be so fucking proud that you're just doing honest business, you know? That should be like a baseline. We should actually uh, label companies with dishonest trade, that's more like it. But in my opinion, as a customer, when you're walking to a store, you're not interested in all this stuff. You're not interested in what, uh, how many dogs the farmer has, all that stuff. You're interested in taste, that's why you go there. Otherwise, you can get a fast, cheap coffee somewhere else. You want to go to have a good taste experience, and for me, a taste that's uh, called direct trade. I don't know what that tastes like. You know, sell your coffee by taste. This tastes like that. That tastes like this. Much easier, and for the customers, a lot more fun. You know. One of the things that I really uh, encourage people to do, although I started an import company as well, is get out there. And Federico was talking about that in the previous lecture. Go to Origin, work with the farmers, talk with the farmers, taste coffee with the farmers, develop the quality. If you see that they're doing something really wrong, try to help them. Say, look, maybe you should try this. You have to be patient. It's baby steps. Uh, but it really helps develop quality and it really makes you get better quality for the coming years. Because to be honest, the reason why I do it is I know I'm not going to be able to pay $100 a pound for my coffee because my consumers are not willing to pay for it. I know in Japan the market is big enough so you can actually buy more coffees for like $20 a pound and I'm not able to compete with that. So you need to work with farmers, create strong relationships based on developing qualities together. You can do this even if you're a barista. It's just a matter of how you sell it. If you can tell your boss that, look, I really want to go to origin. I really want to do this. And I'm, I can make sure I'm going to sell tons of coffee for you when you come back. Of course. If you can, if I can invest in you making money for me, of course I will do it. But the only thing I hear from baristas is like, yeah, once I'd really like to go to Origin. I mean, come on, make it happen. Nobody's going to send you to Origin just because they like it, you know, it costs money. Make sure you buy better coffees. If you don't buy better coffees, you're not really doing anything different than anyone else. You have to have better coffees than your competitors. You have to. Because if you brew it on 92 degrees or 93 degrees, it's not going to change the quality of the coffee. It's going to change the quality of the brew so that the customer might be able to taste the coffee. But It's not going to change the quality of the coffee. You have to have better ingredients. And we need to be better at selling better coffees. Like, if you pay $10 a pound for a coffee, don't be ashamed to charge off the roof to sell it. People buy it. It takes time to develop the market. But if you really believe that this coffee is worth $10 a pound, it's an awesome coffee, of course you can sell it. You don't have to sell it by kilograms. You can sell it in smaller quantities. You can sell it by the cup. Make something happen about it. A Very good example is uh, Singapore Airlines had an anniversary in, uh, a couple of years ago. And they spent like $1200 for a bag of coffee in Kenya per 50 kilos. So that was like $12 a pound. That was the highest price ever paid for a Kenyan coffee. It was one bag, but they got marketing like crazy. You know, marketing that costs five, six hundred thousand dollars to get in newspapers and magazines. They got for $12 a pound buying one bag of coffee. A little clever uh, marketing and of course the coffee was never sold in the company, it was just uh, handed out in the business class or whatever. That's how you sell better coffees. Yeah, I think it's all about stepping your game up. If you, if you really walk into your store and you're not happy with everything, it's, it's about time to do something about it. And I think for me, uh, the biggest potential again, Start with the ingredients, start with the green coffee, start with the roasting. Forget about all the other stuff. The baristas can take care of that. You really have to, if you say that you're in specialty coffee, make sure that you actually are. I think that's all I had. Thanks for listening. Wow. Are we sitting down, or?
0: We are. Sitting is <laughs> good.
2: Thank you, Tim. Uh, that was uh, on the offence and controversy scale. That was about <laughs> an 8 out of 10. I've yeah. seen worse.
0: <laughs> yeah, personally. no, it was, it, was, it was tamer than I expected, so thank you. You haven't got us kicked out, that's awesome. That's good. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Um, really interesting presentation. Um, again, seeing you do something slightly different in a different like, presentation is always interesting. You still manage to always be controversial, though. That's <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like that. I, I kind of wrote notes as I was going through and I was listening to your direct trade part at the start saying so you know the definition what does it really mean um, I I'm, I'm interested in you taking it because I know that you publish your prices that you pay for your coffees as well yep. in a kind of direct trade style how do you think that differs to what other people are doing in the direct You know, who, who use the term direct trade because we all see it misused in the in the industry.
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, the direct trade uh, word. Uh, Some companies are very good at defining what it is. But uh, the problem is uh, (laughs) all companies have slightly different definitions. And uh, that's why a term like that doesn't really mean anything. Because, uh, yeah, you can throw it out there. But what does it actually mean? I think uh, being transparent about prices and your buying model is something that we can do in our markets, uh, and I don't have a problem doing it, you know, because in Norway we have open uh, booking, keeping and everything. Um, I think if if you feel that you have something to hide, then you're probably not in the direct trade, uh, sort of philosophy of
0: uh, unfair, you know? For sure. I mean, uh, uh, kind of on a as that. How does that scale in companies that are roasting more coffee, for instance? Or you know, are they able to keep that same kind of open book mentality? Do you think? Or I think they could. I mean,
1: they a lot of the commercial roasters are not only making money on uh, on uh, buying cheap coffee, but also like um, uh, you know, they're hedging coffees and and working with the U.S. dollar. Uh, uh, whatever you call that.
0: Yeah, yeah, the, 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 yeah the, the kind of dollar change that the indices. Exchange rates yeah. and stuff yeah. like
1: that. Um, for us, it's been easier to sell more expensive coffees because we're transparent, because it's, it's not a ripoff. It's like, this is what we paid. Of course we need to make money, so this is what it costs. And uh, if we weren't doing that, I mean, we're paying $7 a pound for Brazil, which is quite high. Um, that's, uh, to to, to give a reference
0: point, that's extremely high. I mean, that's Cup of Excellence prices yeah. on, on, a, on a normal level, you know, without the... You know, but the, but the why, why is it
2: $7 a pound? Too?
1: Well, the reason it's uh, $7 a pound there is it's, it's grown in Sao Paulo, in the state of Sao Paulo. Uh, the labor cost there is really high now because there's a lot of construction, so it's hard to get pickers. So the farmers have to compete with construction uh, prices. And uh, yeah, the standard of living is much higher than in, for instance, uh, in Kenya. Um, So the prices are really high because it takes a lot of money to produce. And the quality is also good. Uh, I have to say that I wouldn't pay that price if the quality wasn't good.
0: I mean, and then that's the thing. If you look hard enough in a country, you can find In most cases, you know, they have the right growing conditions, the quality, but you've got to search for it, and that has to be paid for too. Oh, yeah. So the travelling that you've just done for the past month, that has to be funded somehow as well, doesn't it? It's not just $7 a pound, it's the added costs of getting it where you need it, special preparation in packaging, which can add extra costs. Yeah. yeah, That's for sure. So I'm intrigued by, you were saying... um, people should be better at roasting. And it's something that I constantly question myself about how we could be better at what we do, what, what we should do differently. How do I become better at roasting?
1: Oh, that's a really tough question. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not a expert roaster. I, I don't know a lot of theory and stuff about it, but I really know what I would like to taste in the cup. Uh, and we sort of try to work towards that. So I have a strong, strong feeling about I want to taste only the coffee. I don't want any bitter finish from roast taints or anything. I also don't like undeveloped acidity, uh, and it's a f- very fine border on where you can be there, uh, and that's something we strive for. I'm, I'm not happy with my espresso rolls, for instance. I think they're still tasting too roasty for me. That's part of why I don't really drink a lot of espresso. Uh, but when we roast it a lot lighter, uh, where it starts tasting clean, it just, the acidity just becomes a lot more aggressive and because it's concentrated.
0: That's because you don't need to roast for espresso, but we'll talk about that another time. That's the next lecture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's definitely a tamper tantrum I've got to do at some point in yeah. the future. But um, So, do you think it's because it comes down to personal preference? Your personal preference is to, and I've tasted lots of your coffees and enjoyed lots of your coffees, but if I was to summarise it, I would say that you tend to roast very, you know, very light. Yeah. That's not a shock to you, is it? No, no. No, good. I, I, I was worried for you then. <laughs> Um, but, you know, you, you, and, and that's your preference. And I've tasted lots of other roasters that their preference is to take, to take it darker. And, I, and I, I don't necessarily go with that side of it. You know, I, I like to taste the coffee, not that I, I have a saying that, you know, you should taste everything the producer wants you to taste in the coffee and none of the roaster's personality. Yeah. And if I'm to say any criticism of kind of some of the coffees I've tasted of yours, that I do taste a little bit of your personality in it, is that... a bad or a good thing you know that you because you have a very definite brand and that's very strong but is that a good or a bad thing i think uh for me it's
1: uh i do want to taste the coffee but it, that's our style of roasting uh some people prefer slightly darker and the, if that's your defined style that's fine with me i mean if that's what you want that's fine uh, i th- i do like to uh, sort of add my personal touch to things and that's why i think people are coming back to
0: us because they also like that style. So, so ultimately the market decides whether what you, you want to produce is what everybody else wants, I guess, yeah? I
1: think you decide what your market uh, wants you to do, you know? Uh, I, I prefer to do it my way. If if my customers don't like it, they will go somewhere else and I'm fine with that. Uh, sure. you know?
2: I think, no, I, I think of that. Uh, one of the interesting things about roast style and how roasters portray, what they want from the coffee is... I think pretty much all of us say exactly the same thing, but we present something that's very, very different. So everybody says, we want to taste terroir, we want to taste the varietal, we want to taste clean coffee, but the problem is that... Most times you don't. Most times (laughs) you don't, or or it's very different. So I think it's where... And that's not necessarily a bad thing, because people do prefer a more developed style of roasting, and there's nothing wrong with that but it's important that um, you're consistent with what you do. I think consistency is equally as important as what you're saying you you, you want to be tasting.
1: And I I think also that a lot of roasters, uh, like baristas as well, uh, are experimenting in a very narrow window. They're not sort of trying to go a little crazy. And by coincidence, that's sort of how we developed uh, our style. It was uh, Joseph Brodsky from um, 90 plus who brought some samples from Ethiopia and I brought my Ethiopian coffee to cup on the same table and there was one coffee I really hated on the table and it was mine because it was, I could only taste roasts. Uh, so that's when we sort of started to develop towards the lighter style and uh, you know, lights can be terrible
0: as well if, if it's not done well, you know. For sure. I mean, you know, with the, like with the wrong coffees, is, is, is uh, it's a car crash, yeah. you know. Yeah. I know and, you it's look and it's you know, really you difficult. <laughs> it's really difficult. Like. Oh, yeah. Let's not get into that. <laughs> no, no, that's that. I mean, it's interesting that leads me on. Do you, do you feel that we're, as an industry, constantly trying to reinvent coffee? We're trying to find the next big thing, and that detracts from us getting good at what we should be doing instead of, like... You're saying it's a narrow window, but everybody's trying to be the first to do this or do that or do something differently. Is that holding us back?
1: Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of times there's a lot of hype like, oh, this new machine is coming out and you can do this and that. And it doesn't really change anything when you're using really bad ingredients. Uh, you know, it, it's impossible to get a bad coffee to taste good. I think as a whole, the industry tends, which of course, because it's easy. We're in uh, in Europe and we don't grow coffee here. So it's easier to focus on machines and stuff. But I think one of the biggest sort of holes in our chain is knowledge about green coffee and how it's grown and also roasting. Uh, and I think, in my opinion, we have a much, much bigger potential to improve there than with brewing because there's very few parameters during brewing that you're actually working with.
0: OK. So- um, this is kind of, I, I want to bring you on this one because we you talked about consistency being really important and I, and I do really agree. But how much is, like, I, go, I go to my local baker's and he's awesome. He makes some of the best bread I've tasted in, you know, in the, the nearby area. Yeah, you go, well, you don't know, find better, but, but he's artisan. No time do I go back and I get exactly the same bread, and I appreciate that from him because that's his skills coming through. And it's not necessarily worse or better, but it's it's never quite the same. If we are aiming for consistency all the time, like the reason Starbucks roast so dark is to maintain consistency with <laughs> their blend. You know that that, that 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 I've heard that said many times. Okay. So. Is consistency in that case a good thing? No, obviously it's not. But are we shying away from the artisan a little bit?
1: I don't think so. I think uh, a real artisan is making sure that his products are really consistent. I mean, you're working with products that are not the same every day. And it's your job to make it taste great every day, you know? And it might taste slightly different from day to day, but it it shouldn't be like night and day. And I think we're working... We're we're trying to sort of achieve consistency in uh, temperatures and pressures and all this stuff during brewing. And then when it comes to roasting and green coffee, we're all over the place, you know. And that doesn't really work for me.
2: Mm, I think it's it's not particularly difficult to be quite consistent. I think if you have really good systems set up as a roaster, for instance, where you're, you know, you're roasting on certain days and you're definitely cupping on certain days and you're evolving and developing the roast as you go, then yes, it's not gonna be exactly the same product, but hopefully it's evolving into a better thing. So for instance, I went to uh, a pretty nice restaurant in London, which which serves, uh, it it was Fat Duck, and they have dishes that they've served for years and years. And I went uh, a couple of years ago with Tim and I had some of the same dishes just recently. Um, and they were different. Some of them were better and they'd evolved slightly. But in terms of like ha- the quality and the consistency of the dish, it was very, very high. So I think there's evolvement to, to, to happen. But, um, but you don't want your product to be shifting all over the place
0: because of bad systems, mm-hmm. I guess. So, so it's more a focus on having that window that there is going to be changes, but it not being... The big variances going from, from end to end yeah. because you're not paying attention to any of the variables that are going on. No, I mean, point. if you
1: if you get a green coffee in January, uh, it's not going to taste the same in uh, December because sure. it, it gets older. Uh, but you have to sort of develop with the coffee and make sure that it's actually tasting good all the time.
0: I'm going to ask one more question, then we're going to hopefully get some audience questions. But cool. this is something you Still didn't here. talk about in the presentation. <laughs> yeah, we forgot about those yeah. there. We're just having a chat, don't mind us. Um, you didn't talk about it in the presentation, but you just touched on it then, talking about kind of coffees getting older. And I remember a podcast with James Hoffman that you <laughs> did talking about past crop, yeah, and like what defines past crop, and is it a good or bad thing? Are you kind of, what are your thoughts on like when does a coffee suddenly become? you can't use it anymore? Is it dead on 12 months? Because it's no, is no, no, it six no, no. months? No, no, no.
1: I mean, some coffees get old uh, on arrival and as other coffees keep up. Like our Kenyans are actually cupping better than our new arrival Kenyans. Because sure, it's a better one. coffee. I mean, the season last year was fantastic and this year is not, not the greatest. Um, but um, I'm really working with producers to crack the code on uh, on aging. And I, we have, we're cupping at 4.30 today uh, in our booth. Uh, one coffee in particular that That's is... That's
0: over in the village over there.
1: Yeah. Uh, one coffee that uh, is harvested in Brazil in uh, August. And uh, it's the same coffee, just dried in two different ways. And one tastes really woody and fermenty. The other one tastes like it's a fresh crop uh, Brazil. Uh, so, and we're also working with that in, uh, in Colombia and in El Salvador and Honduras. And if it you seems can to fix improve. Honduras,
0: please, yeah, fix fixed Honduras. It. No problem. <laughs> yeah,
1: awesome. But uh, it, it sort of keeps our coffee stay fresh for that period until next harvest. Uh, I'm, I don't want my coffee to last that long because we, we like to shift coffees according to when it's harvested. Sure. Uh, but at least it won't fade before you sort of run out of it. You know? And that's, uh, that's important for me.
0: Sure. And I guess you only get that by looking at your products you know, every day, making sure that they are, you know, they're the same quality as they were before and change inappropriately if it
1: moved. I think also what is hard is that if you cup your own coffee and you just cup your own coffees all the time, uh, you don't really notice that it's getting older. But if you then cup it with some fresh samples or something, you get shocked and like, wow, it's really woody now, you know?
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I I kind of find it really interesting as well to cup lots of other roasters' coffees. You know, we've always got bags of other people's stuff in the roastery because you talked about references and I I agree 100% on that. It's really important to understand what is good and what is bad, and what is what is seen as good by others to measure yourself against, and you know it's, it's really important. Yeah. So, questions, please. We've got to have some questions because we had no <laughs> hands last time. Somebody has got to raise their hand for a question. Yes. Thank you, Kaz. <laughs>
2: Hi there. It was a, it was a great talk. Um, Thanks. We talked a lot about green coffees and roasting. Uh, when it leaves your hands. Uh, As a question I always have is about the resting period have you done much research maybe Steve as well about that resting period and I think it's not a problem for busy cafes because you'll use that coffee really quickly and you'll be able to organize when the coffees come in but for the retail markets yeah people looking into the resting period and how you can rest it for less or things you can get away with to make it last longer
1: I think uh, for our sake, we, we teach our customers that try to rest our espresso for at least a week before you use it, or preferably a little bit more. Uh, with the lighter roasts that are really light, they don't develop as much smoke, so we normally tell people like two, three days is okay, but it's better after like five, six. Uh, we constantly, like we, uh, when we open the store, people are constantly looking for the freshest bag. And we've been teaching them like, look, we always ask, when are you going to use the coffee? and then we try to help them to find the right coffee for, uh, for, for that particular customer. And now we're actually getting complaints that our coffee is too fresh in the store, you know, which is a good thing. But I think uh, for retail, you should always offer the freshest possible because it should be the, up to the customer to decide when they want to use it, but you really need to educate them. And we also write like, degassing periods on our bags as well as the roasting dates and try to sort of educate customers Wholesalers, I find a little bit easier because you just teach them to like try to have a buffer of one week, we deliver once a week. So when the new coffee comes, you should start using the coffee from last week Uh, and that really helps them never run out of coffee and also the coffee tastes much better and most of our customers are pretty good at it. Uh, Some of course are uh, terrible, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think my take on it is that uh, I want the coffee to get with the customer as fresh as possible, regardless of, of how long they want to rest it. I want them to taste fresh coffee because we have we've got a couple of wholesale customers that really like to work with fresh coffee. Yeah. They like the liveliness, they like that kind of you know CO two effervescence that you get of a fresh roast. So like it's up to them to decide where they want to serve it, and I encourage them to try you know try it over different days to find what works for them. And as the blend moves and it age, the, the green ages, I find that that also changed the resting period as well. So like, I, I think it's important to taste fresh, to see whether you like it, and yeah. then if you do, work with that, but if you don't, then find where is good for you, You know, and, and really just changes from coffee to coffee.
3: Thanks so much. Um, yeah, thanks for the talk, it was very interesting. I was wondering, um, you tell coffee professionals to go to a region and to strengthen those relationships and Thank work you. with the coffee. Can co- you <laughs> a bit closer. Ah, OK. Oh, yeah. Seems right. <laughs> uh, so you tell coffee professionals to go to a region and work with the coffee, and at the same time to sell the coffee by taste to consumers. And I was wondering, how does that make you feel about the relation between consumers and the producer? Um, with those two things in mind I mean what what would you like to uh, how would you like that relation to be uh, from your consumer to the producer you're
0: working with
1: I mean I I blog about most of my travels a lot
0: and I make sure people read about it uh, and j- just to interrupt that Tim's just got back from Colombia, and you should really go read his Columbia blog posts because they've been super interesting um, yeah you should definitely go look at them do it um,
1: and that's sort of, um, although all, the, all customers can not read all your posts on a blog all the time, but the more you do it, sooner or later they're going to come in and just read like, it, they don't have to read everything, you know? I don't expect your customers to know everything about you. But if they read one post that sort of changes their mind like, dude, these guys are really doing a good job getting the quality, and maybe that's why it costs more, you know? And it, it is why it costs more. And uh, I always encourage people who complain our coffees are expensive. I say, look, have a look at uh, what we do on our internet. And I try to explain, like, we really try to work with the producers and it's becoming a, uh, I mean, we rarely get customers complaining about prices to our face at least. Um, we used to have some before. Uh, and yeah, we, we also get a lot of co- comments from customers who are really liking what we do. and. Uh, and I mean, that's part of why I c- still can continue doing it, because we sell the coffee. It makes it a lot easier to sell the coffee. We, we never sort of preach uh, about the farmer and everything for the customer every single time. We, we talk about taste, and if the customer is interested in knowing a little bit more, then we can sort of start to talk a little bit. But don't try to sort of force knowledge on people every time they come into the stores, because it's awkward, you know? It's,
0: I, I hate the wine analogy, but for me, like, we can learn a lot from wine in the marketing of, of what they do. It becomes less important about who, who grew the vines and produced the wine, and it becomes more important about where it's from and how it tastes yeah. and, and giving the customer expectations. And we don't, I, I kind of get confused when we, we don't ask how much the, the vineyard owner got paid for the grapes, but we, we always want to know about how much the producer got paid for coffee. Um, we can learn lots from the way that wine. Like, yeah. it's not you don't that th- you need to know the stuff about the farm if you want it if it's there. But if it isn't, you don't have to ram it down the throat all the time. And yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with that. For me, in um, like in the I'm, retail environment particularly,
1: I li- I really like wine, uh, but I don't know anything about wine. So if uh, if a sommelier tells me like this is uh, Burgundy from uh, Clos de Bleu de Bleu, you know, I it, I, for me, that doesn't tell me anything. I just want to know what kind of style the wine is, what it tastes like. And then, if, if this is a wine that I really like, then I can, like, okay, I'll write the name down and try to find out more, you know?
0: But then it's took to the sommelier to find the customer that does want that information, to give it to them, and that's yeah. our job to find the customer that wants that, connect with the producer, um, and, and then find the ways to do that, be it through blog posts, tweeting. Photos, whatever, you know, then you have to find that way for the people that do want that connect.
3: Uh, can I follow up? Is that okay? Um, so I was just wondering when you describe taste, do you, do you connect it to the process or do you keep it uh, on the cup quality or, or cup characteristics? We
1: try to make it simple for people. Like, uh, and we try to buy coffees that are quite different tasting. And we try to sell coffees that are very different in taste at any given point. So it's not like we have 10 El Salvador's on the shelf at once because it's hard to sort of, uh, a lot of times it's hard to notice the details, you know? You Um, should, it's great.
0: I I wholeheartedly recommend it.
1: Yeah, sometimes we do, but uh, I mean, most (laughs) of the times we will have coffees that are quite different. And uh, no, we, we, I mean, again, we try to make it simple. Like this is really juicy and fruity and uh, it's got a nice sort of refreshing character. And this is more like a chocolate style, heavy caramel, whatever. And then if customers start to, to show interest, then you can start sort of talking a little bit about process or this coffee is dried that way. But, you know, again, you're trying to sort of uh, get a, give a bait to the customer. And if they bite on, then you can sort of start wheeling them in.
3: Thanks so much. Thank you.
2: One more in the back.
3: Hi. I um, just had a question about the product and your experience um, at Origin, is there anything, um, any, I guess, experiments or anything that you're working on right now with producers that you see as um, probably the most important um, as far as affecting quality when it arrives? And
1: um, in terms of shelf life, I think uh, drawing and uh, like, soaking also, but especially drying, the drying method is uh, really affecting how the coffee lands, like if it's as fresh as it was when you cupped it in origin, or if it's starting to fade, and also of course storage and the logistics is very important as well. Uh, But when it comes to process, I'm not an expert in the field, I just have some experience from different experiments, Uh, and there's tons to learn still. I feel that Every single step in, in the process is equally important. Just like when we're brewing coffee, you cannot uh, mess around in one area and expect to get a great result. And one of the things that I find the hardest to work with is actually the picking of the coffee. Like picking uniform ripeness is extremely hard to get done and it's very, very expensive. Uh, all the other stuff is just about uh,
0: time and, uh, and water and, you know, a little effort and, and getting more expensive as well i mean this is a thing that we have in producing countries at the moment as an issue is that you know labor costs as you yeah. mentioned in the presentation are going through the roof not just in brazil but everywhere you know we're seeing this increase uh, an increase in uh, like electricity heating fuel to move the the the, the, the things we you know th- we are going to see coffee become much more expensive than it is now I think and we need to yeah. prepare the consumer for that by you know raising prices as we go we've been yeah. too cheap for too long yeah and you can't subsidize
1: uh, like really expensive coffees w- just by buying a lot of cheap coffees because it doesn't really work that way it, it, the prices are going up for quality because the production isn't really rising that fast and uh, yeah you have all these rises in cost and but the, the, the biggest issue with the uh, Processing experiments that uh, we see is that because we've been, uh, most people are paying really low prices, Uh, the farmers are sort of breaking even and they don't have money to finance even a better picking. I mean, the farmer I work with in Colombia had to sell three cows in order to pay the pickers uh, because he doesn't have the finance, you know. And uh, it's really hard to improve quality if you don't have any money to do it. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to the farmer. But when you can promise the farmer, uh, and, and you have to commit to the coffees and promise them a higher price, regardless of the turnout, uh, as long as they follow your uh, um, sort of guidelines, uh, and we, the, it sort of reaches the quality that we have set, I think you just have to buy the coffee. And and it's a gamble for me as well, but uh, so far the coffees we've tasted from the project, have has been uh, turning out really good, so
0: and a big gamble for a small company oh, like, yeah. like ours you know it's, it's, it's a difficult decision to make we, we've done the same where we, we asked for um, uh, the, the farm to produce a washed version of this nat- the natural that they've done and it was horrendous yeah. and we had to buy it we ended up with 10 bags of well compost you know it was like but you, you live and learn And you can always find a customer for it you know but uh, yeah, you, yeah.
1: you want to sort of uh, yeah no it was called the dust bin it yeah. uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: it's not good um, any more questions?
3: Yeah, so, so on that matter that you just talked about how um, Where does that put cooperatives as opposed to farms? Um, because it seems that financing would probably be harder for cooperatives for making experiments. Can you uh, commit to buy coffees in the same way with cooperatives or is there an issue there?
1: I think, uh, in general, if you tell someone to do something, you have to commit. If you advise them that maybe you should try this, uh, it's up to them to do it or not. But if you really want it done, I think you, uh, you have to commit. Cooperatives are a little more difficult than single farmers because it affects a lot of people if it goes wrong. Uh, and a lot of times the co- cooperatives are, uh, it's very political. Uh, Because you can't do it with one batch of coffee because that only affects these farmers and the other farmers will be pissed, you know, because they wouldn't let Uh, So it it takes a lot more skill and effort to work with cooperatives, I think and um, But it's not impossible. Uh, Some of the cooperatives actually uh, are having uh, a little bit of finance to pre-finance coffee and stuff But I mean the, the implementations that we normally recommend are stuff that it's not a risk. I mean, Improving cherry picking is not a risk. Uh, improving or at least controlling process is never a risk. But like experimenting with a hundred day
0: fermentation, that's a big risk, you know? Um, I, I think it's much easier to get a smaller producer to commit to those oh things yeah. because they can, because you can have the following year you can't necessarily repeat it with a cooperative because there'll be different people involved yeah. and different individuals uh, who are in charge of the cooperative and you can't control what will happen the year after so your investment in time and travel and effort is lost a lot with cooperatives whereas with a smaller producer it's much more focused. You know
1: like some small producers are so small that even if you commit to buying all the coffee, it's, it still doesn't cover costs You know because it's, it's not enough coffee. Uh, so uh, you really have to be careful when you work with uh, farmers not to sort of uh, do too much. I mean in, in Honduras, I made progress over the four years with one farmer, uh, and I made the same progress in Colombia in, in four days, you know. Uh, it's just a matter of economics and, uh, and uh, the ability to uh, to communicate and you know commitments
2: So we've got a, a question from online from David Cormack um, He's asking would it ever be possible for all coffee and farmers across the board to produce the quality Tim Wendelboe is talking about
1: uh, No, I mean if even if you if you're the best farmer in the world uh, the, the, you, you produce bad coffee I mean there's a lot of coffee during the process that gets rejected by the machines and sorting Uh, And there is, unfortunately, a market for crap as well. Uh, But uh, in my opinion, if you raise your overall quality, you will get higher commercial prices for the not so good coffees. You will get a very high price for the special stuff. And for me, it's more important for farmers to be consistent in quality rather than having uh, one bag that is 90 points and the rest is shit, you know? If they're consistently producing quality, uh, that means they have a secure income, and then they can start affording to like take maybe ten bags and do something special. And,
0: yeah, and, and the, uh, we see that a lot with a lot of producers we buy from. They all produce some awful coffee to to get the good coffee too, and that's really important to to see that everybody will grow bad coffee. It's how they uh, you know they, but everybody can get a little bit better. You know oh yeah, help. For sure yeah
2: for and sure. it's it's really got to be driven by us. I mean, we are the ones that have to for push sure. it, otherwise they're going to do what they've done for the last x amount of years and the only way
0: in, in, to really motivate people is to pay more money yeah that that's a great motivator for anybody it, 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 you know people that are producing countries are no different to people here they can be motivated by money to do whatever you want we 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 have a mill in El Salvador that's going to ferment some coffee in coca cola next year for us. <laughs> We offer them enough money. <laughs> I'm just. I'm Are en- you sir? serious? Serious. <laughs> it, it was a question I asked myself one night. I really want a bag of that coffee. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? So will everybody else. It, it's good. So, uh, anyway, please, uh, a big round of applause for Mr. Tim Wendelbo.
3: Thanks for coming.